0: starting a new series but in some ways it's not a new series it's a continuation in a sense of the series on bitterness because once you recognize the need and the danger that the root of bitterness brings the real key is forgiveness and so this series is the lost art of forgiveness growing in the spiritual skill and setting ourselves and others free in Christ. So what I wanted to do was start with an illustration that would kind of talk about recovery of something that was lost, a legacy. And I found this even including the idea of art. And this is the, the recovering the lost art of Moshe Reineke. And it was a moral imperative for his family. This is a self-portrait by Moshe. He was a prolific uh, Polish-Jewish artist producing close to 800 paintings and sculptures prior to 1939 and the invasion of his native Poland in the beginning of World War II. And in the chaos of the war, if you can imagine, he lived in the Warsaw Ghetto uh, as a Jewish uh, prisoner. He made the decision to hide his art collection with the hopes that he might reassemble the collection in time of peace. That never happened. Reinecke perished in the Holocaust. The last time anyone is known to have heard from Reinecke was in 1943 when his wife, well, I got these out of order, sorry about that, his wife, Perla, received a postcard that he had sent from Majdanek, a concentration camp near Lublin, Poland. The Nazis had transported him there from the smoldering ruins of the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw. The rest of his family had stayed in Warsaw, posing as Christians to escape the Holocaust. The rest of his... uh, He scrawled a message and got it out uh, out of the concentration camp, reassuring his wife that he was well and painting in the camp. And his son... Uh, George Reinecke tells us about this. Now, this is a, a picture he painted of his wife. Uh, he she ran an art store while he could free up and do his paint work. Uh, by the time uh, Reinecke was sent to the concentration camp, he had entrusted about eight hundred of his artworks to friends. A few dozen works in the family hands inspired his great granddaughter Elizabeth Reinecke to write a book, "Chasing Portraits." a great-granddaughter's quest for her lost art legacy. And she says in her uh, book that this was a moral imperative that she had to fulfill. She added in a phone interview that the need to research became even more urgent since potential eyewitnesses were dying off. So they, they had to he he rolled up his paintings and he he put them into hiding. The problem is finding where they all are. And some of the things that he liked to do, his work was strictly restricted to Jewish work. So here's a, a painting of life in the synagogue. And uh and then also paintings there even in the concentration camp so these are guys that are are playing chess More of Reinecke 's artworks are said to have been found on Warsaw Street, stored in a barn, and salvaged from a train that had been bombed. In fact, some of his work was found like crumpled up and they 've literally had to stretch it out and smooth out the uh, out, out of the creases out of it. When people ask Miss Reinecke when she will finish her work on the inherited paintings and the missing ones, she replies i 'll never be done." ever well i thought that was just kind of a great reminder that there are legacies that are lost and they need to be recovered by those that value them and think they are important so what we want to look at in this first lesson is recovering not the art of a painter but the lost art of forgiveness so take a look in your notes there and this is the main idea that i want you to get not only for today's lesson, for really the rest of the series. As Christ followers, we have a moral imperative, not from uh, just on our own something we've come up with, but from the Lord Jesus Christ to do what? To recover the lost art of forgiveness. To recover the lost art. As I was doing the study and preparing for the series, I came across a couple quotes, and I think they're important enough. I put them in your notes. And they kind of caught me off guard at first because they're just really bold statements. Look at the first one. The single most important concept in biblical Christianity is forgiveness. And then another writer said this. Forgiveness is at the very core of Christianity. In fact, forgiveness is so central to the Christian faith, the argument could be successfully made that without forgiveness... Christianity as we know it would not exist. The central message of Christianity is that God loves mankind and has forgiven their sins because of the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Forgiveness cannot be separated from Christianity any more than a man can be separated from air and still survive. Now, I read those and I'm like, You know, I don't know, but I, I had to really kind of say, I'm not sure I would say that about forgiveness. I'm not sure that would naturally come to my mind as I try to summarize the core of Christianity. And so it kind of forced me to say, well, what does the Bible say? And so what I did... I used to would pull out my cords, now I fire up the computer, and put in the word forgive. Because so often, you can find out so much about a biblical concept if you'll look at the first time that word is used and then trace it through scripture. And as I did that, I I became convinced we need to kind of look at that. And we need to ask the question, as you have there in your notes, have we, lost, have we lost the legacy of forgiveness that's in the Bible? Have we lost the legacy of forgiveness that's in the Bible? Don't get me wrong. Everyone who is here today, who is sure of their salvation, and have crossed the line from unbelief to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, knows that forgiveness is important and knows personally that you are forgiven. But I think sometimes we kind of wrap that up in a package or we put it up on a pedestal and say, there's my forgiveness. And we kind of mentally do that because we go back to a point in time where we made a decision. We say, now that's when forgiveness happens. And we kind of forget that it's the core of Christianity, that it's, a, it, it's linked to us like air and food and that to ignore forgiveness or to lose that legacy, this lady did not, this great-great-granddaughter did not want to lose a legacy that was cherished of a talent, of a skill. And, and I commend that. And, and, and I, as a student of the Holocaust and one who enjoys uh, learning about that and seeing the lessons of history, I admire that. But we have an even greater legacy. And we have an even greater moral imperative to recover that. So I would challenge you with this question in the first point. Have you, have I lost the legacy of forgiveness in the Bible? And so here I've taken, I've got 10 points there that I'm going to take you through the study that I went through. And hopefully, I pray by God's spirit, it will impact you the way it impacted me when I studied it. Now, the first time that the concept of forgiveness is introduced in the Bible is in Genesis 3. So you've got to understand that you can't always study a theological concept by just the word itself. The first time you're going to find forgiveness is in Genesis 50, the, the last part of the first book of the Bible. Well, does that mean there's no forgiveness in the in the 50 chapters? No. So the first time the concept is introduced, it's really important. It's in Genesis 3, and I, I, I gave you those verses because we don't have time to turn to all these verses, but I want you to see the Word of God. God initiates forgiveness with the shame-faced, guilt-ridden, hiding rebels in the garden. And he does it with those famous words, Where are you? Where are you? That is a cry of reconciliation. That pours forth from a heart of forgiveness. He had no need to seek them out. They should have been doing what? Seeking him out. But they were ashamed, guilt-ridden, hiding. And this forgiving God comes to them just as he has come to each of you crying out, Where are you? I want to restore my relationship with you. Then the Lord called the man and said to him, where are you? And then he gives him a promise of a coming redeemer who will grant forgiveness in a crushing victory over God's enemy in the future through the seed of the woman. Look at Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel and then the lord provided a blood sacrifice to cover that sin temporarily until that crushing victory to come so in genesis three twenty one, the lord made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them so the first time the concept is introduced god initiates forgiveness towards undeserving sinners Everything we're going to discuss about forgiveness and the key to recovering forgiveness begins with that understanding that forgiveness is an act of grace initiated by a forgiving God. Now, of course, the idea and decision to forgive didn't suddenly come into the heart of God at that moment. But even before the creation of the universe, in eternity past, God the Father had conceived and decreed the idea and the means of forgiveness through the Son of God by the Spirit of God. But here it is coming into history. Then, let's look at secondly, the first use of forgive in the Bible. Very interesting. The first use of forgive in the Bible happens way in Genesis 50, verse 17. And the context is important. So we we go from this God-initiated forgiveness, and now all of a sudden we're in the context of family betrayal. We're in the context of brothers who have murderously and jealously (laughs) sought to kill and enslave their own brother. And they're afraid to address their brother Joseph now face to face. So the brothers send a message. Confessing their guilt and seeking forgiveness through a messenger, and here's the first time the word is used in the Bible Genesis fifteen fifty seventeen. Thus you shall say to Joseph, here's the brothers telling the messenger, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin. For they did you wrong. Now, that is going to be the pattern of asking for forgiveness that we're going to look at later in the series. That is an excellent way to confess and ask forgiveness. Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Man, here we are in the context. Deep hurt, deep pain, deep betrayal. And yet, and you see the deep emotion. Emotion, oh, there's so much there that we could talk about. What's going on in Joseph's heart? What's going on? He's thinking of all that has come before, all his deep hurt. He's thinking of the God of their fathers, that forgiving God that we saw in Genesis 3. So the first time the word forgive, it's used in the context of believers forgiving one another one another especially in the context of family betrayal with murderous intent the bible gets real about forgiveness now the second use of forgive in the bible comes the very next time it's used is exodus 10 17 and here we're in a different context pharaoh an unbeliever is asking Moses to seek God's forgiveness to escape further divine judgment through the plagues that God was bringing. So let's look at that, Exodus ten 17. Second time the word forgive is ever used in the Bible. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord your God, that he would only remove this death from me. Here is a request for forgiveness from an unbeliever asking a believer to mediate for him before a holy God who's pouring out judgment. And notice, he's really not confessing any sin. He's really not desiring a relationship. What does he want? Out from under the judgment. You know, stop this difficulty in my life. So the second time the word's used, it's used in the context of unbelievers asking believers to mediate forgiveness from God in a time of judgment. Let's move on. The third use. The third time it's used is Exodus 32, verse 32. Moses is now, this time, it's a believer. Moses asking God, his God, the I am God, to seek His forgiveness of his rebellious covenant people. It's Moses who is interceding now to God on behalf of God's own people who are rebellious. And God wants to wipe them out. And he is standing in the stead of his people. And he says in chapter 32, verse 32, But now, if you will forgive their sin and if not please blot me out from your book from which you have written whoa that's he's not just he's not faking it there he's not just making that up what is moses saying moses is saying this i love your people so much and i think he also knows god's character so deeply that he says look you have to forgive them. I, I'm asking you to forgive them. And if you don't, if you if you don't, please blot me out of your book which you have written. Basically, if you're not going to forgive them, then don't forgive me. I'm willing to suffer in hell with your people if you choose not to forgive them. Now, that's just heavy stuff. And it's interesting because the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 basically says the same thing. He says, Lord, if it were possible, I would go to everlasting hell that my people, your people, the Jewish people, could be saved. Wow. So this third time the word is used in the Bible, it's the context of God forgiving his own forgiven people. And a human mediator being willing to be cursed forever in their place. Keep those things in mind. Let's look at the fourth use. The fourth use of forgive in the Bible is Exodus 34. And here, God is responding to Moses' request. That request to forgive his people came along with a request from Moses of, Show me your glory. Show me your name. Show me your character. And so in Exodus 34, 6 through 7, one of the most important passages in the Bible, God grants Moses, graciously grants his request, and says, this is who I am. Wow, look at what it says, verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, that is, I am, the Lord God, the I am God, compassionate and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, and here it comes, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. And then comes this word, yet, yet God's character is not just all mercy and compassion and forgiveness, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Whoa! Wow! There is the character of God. So imbalanced in our culture today. One of justice and mercy. But notice, He is a forgiving God who also executes perfect justice and judgment on sinners. That creates attention, doesn't it? How is he going to be just and forgiving? Number six, the first use of forgive in the New Testament. Let's jump to the New Testament. What is the first use of of the word forgive in the New Testament? Well, it's found on the lips of of Jesus as he teaches his disciples how to pray. And in doing so, he makes it a moral imperative for his followers to recover this lost art of forgiveness that had been lost by the Jewish people due to unbelief, due to legalism, and due to religious hypocrisy. Before we get too down on the Pharisees, I think we need to realize, I am a Pharisee. We are Pharisees. They were Bible-believing, God-honoring people who had mistook through unbelief and through legalism and had focused on things and had forgotten the practice of forgiveness. So here's what he says, Matthew six twelve, Jesus teaching us, here's how you pray on a daily basis, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Look at verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So the first time forgiveness is used, in the New Testament, God links vertical forgiveness with horizontal forgiveness of other people. So basically what he's saying, and we'll come back to this again and again, you can't receive God's vertical forgiveness without also becoming a forgiving person towards others horizontally. You can't separate those. Here is the moral imperative of Jesus for recovering the lost order of forgiveness from God on a daily basis and forgiving one another on a daily basis. Number seven, let's look at the second use of forgive. The second use of forgive in the New Testament comes in Matthew 9, just three chapters later. And here is a huge advance in the legacy of forgiveness in the Bible. The promised seed and the human mediator is now revealed to be God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 9, 2 through 6. They brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. No talk of healing. Because the greatest healing we need is not physical. It's what? Spiritual. It's that vertical healing and forgiveness of sins. Now, notice what he says. And some of the scribes said to to themselves, they, they said it inwardly, this guy blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And the reality is they thought he was a man just going around. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And how are you going to know if you if that's really, you know, that's blasphemous. Only God can do that. And he says, well, here, let me do something that only God can do. Get up and walk. And the and the guy gets up and walks. So the second time that the word is used in the New Testament, it's on the lips of Jesus again as he demonstrates he is God and he has the authority. He has the power to grant forgiveness to whomever he chooses. And his divine forgiveness, by the way, is holistic, impacting the whole person. When God forgives, he doesn't just forgive spiritually. And abstractly, he forgives your whole being. And one day, body and soul is going to be cleansed, glorified, and resurrected. That's good news. That's good news. Because sin affects us holistically. So it's good that God's forgiveness does the same. Number eight, yet another use of forgive at the end of the Gospels. Here's one of the five versions of the Great Commission. And again, on the lips of Jesus... Here's what he says in Luke 24:46. He said to them, his disciples, his apostles, gathered as we are, thus is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. To all the nations, and that includes Mongolia that we just prayed for. That includes the Philippines that the Nisleys are at. That includes every people group. Beginning in Jerusalem, you are witnesses. Wow. So here's what I'm trying to say. This idea of forgiveness is so important. It's the central message for all people that forgiveness comes through one and one man only The risen and reigning God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, let's go to number nine. Other uses of forgive in the book of Acts. It's interesting that we go to Acts 10. And we see Peter preaching the message that Jesus commanded. He's obedient to preach that message. And as he preaches that message of forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes down and saves a Gentile. So, here's a Jew preaching to a Gentile, to all peoples. And then we come to Acts 26, and Paul is testifying and saying, my whole life can be summarized in this way. I have been sent by God to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive, here it comes, forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who, who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to this heavenly vision. And he has preached throughout all these areas, even to Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Number ten, last one. There is the vertical and horizontal uses of forgive in the epistles. And the two I want to bring out is 1 John 1, 9 and Ephesians four thirty two. Well, 30 through 32. Look at 1 John. Let's pick it up in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So that's vertical forgiveness. So again, we're seeing this pattern. There is vertical forgiveness from God to us. But then in Ephesians 4, 30 through 32, you have the horizontal forgiveness. And make no mistake, it does form a cross because that's what the cross of Christ accomplished. It accomplishes vertical forgiveness where we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness from God but it also requires and produces horizontal forgiveness where we ask and give forgiveness to one another and that's what you see in Ephesians 4:30 30 through 32 do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And in its place, here's what you put. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, that is the legacy of forgiveness. And you say, well, what about the last book of the Bible, Revelation? I have sad news for you about that book. Because I thought, you know, this is interesting. Forgive is not, the last use of forgive is in 1 John there that we just looked at. But the idea of repentance is in Revelation. And when you see repentance, you think faith and and forgiveness are involved in that. And in the first three chapters of, of Revelation, the church is told to repent, ask for forgiveness from God. The only other time repent is used in the rest of the book of Revelation is three times with the sad, sad warning that unbelievers refuse to repent even as God's wrath and hell is unleashed on earth. They did not repent. In other words, they did not ask for forgiveness. Now, Let's go to point two, and it's this. I want to summarize. Okay, we went through that. I hope you experience that, you see that. But let me summarize what that means. It means we have a moral imperative to recover this understanding of forgiveness. And let me summarize what we've seen and just really... Here's what I took away from that. After I scanned through those verses and studied them, I came to four conclusions. Number one, God's moral imperative is to recover the character of our forgiving God. Our God is a forgiving God. Forgiveness is at the heart of God. If we know Him and if we are His children, then we need to recover that character in our own character. Okay? Number one. Number two, recover Christ as the only mediator of forgiveness for all people. He is the only one who has the right to grant forgiveness. He's the God-man. He's the only one. There's no other. Buddha, Muhammad, Billy Graham, your mama, your papa. There's no one that has the right to grant forgiveness other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Three, recover the commission to proclaim forgiveness. To proclaim forgiveness forgiveness this is what we're proclaiming this is the great commission to let all peoples know but number four that proclaiming will be hypocritical if we don't recover a commitment to the practice of forgiving others if we don't recover a commitment to receiving forgiveness from god and asking and giving forgiveness to one another that's what i see is the legacy that we need to recover are you with me so far what i'm trying to give you what i'm trying to do in this this lesson is give you the context for everything that we're going to do in the remaining lessons because here's the deal forgiveness isn't a set of rules That we obey and we impose on others in order to reconcile. It is what I've just shown you. It's the character of God. It's what Christ's mission was all about. It's what the Great Commission is meant to proclaim. And it's to be a commitment that we put into practice. So, let's go to the third point and look at this. Recovering the lost art of forgiveness. Glad you're here, Nikki. This is, this is art day. Isn't that, is this, is this getting you excited? All right. That's not just a catchy title I chose to use. Forgiveness is an art. And I want to break this down for you. And I want you to keep this in mind as we move in to the how to's that we're going to get to in the remaining part. So here's the goal. Here's the goal of this series. I'm asking God to help me and to help you and to help all of us to grow in the talent, the skill, and the discipline of being forgiven by God and forgiving one another in Christ. That's what I mean by the art of forgiveness. It's a talent, it's a skill, and it's a discipline. And Randy's shaking his head because he knows. He knows. So let's take a look at that. The lost art of forgiveness is, first of all, a supernatural talent. It's a supernatural talent. And again, I take you back to Matthew 6, one of the key passages for this series. Matthew 6, where he says, look, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. So you forgive us in the same way that we forgive others please don't pray that uh quickly because you got to think through god knows how i forgive other people god forgive me to the degree that i forgive other people some of us would never be forgiven by god and that's the tension that's the tension Because you say, well, Chris, I don't think you're reading that quite right. Well, look at verse 14. Jesus knew we would need some help on this. For if you forgive others for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, we're going to dig into what that means. And it's not today, okay, that we're going to do it. We're going to dig into it. But I'll tell you what it does mean. It means this. Forgiving others is the birthmark of every child of God. Forgiving others is the birthmark of every true child of God. And I can't put it any simpler than this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Forgiven people are forgiving people. See, our birthright, is to be forgiven. We like that. It's my birthright. God unconditionally must forgive me. And I don't care what you do with me. God has unconditionally forgiven. It's my birthright. Well, if you're going to cra- claim the birthright, then I want to see the birthmark. Because those who have the birthright will show the birthmark of being forgiven. Do you, do you see where I'm going with this? Here's what Jesus said in the chapter before Matthew 6, Matthew 5, "...Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God." Secondly, I want you to see under this idea of talent, it's a supernatural response to receiving and rejoicing in God's forgiveness of us. So when we forgive others, it's not a drudgery, it's it's a response to us being forgiven because I'm forgiven I respond with forgiveness and rejoice in doing so because I know how good it is to be forgiven are you with me You see being for, being for, uh, a forgiving person is not a natural ta- talent it's a supernatural one given by God so here's my here's my point It's not natural to forgive people who hurt you Can I hear an amen It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's the ability and the talent that God gives. It's a grace-enabled gift. And that's the third point. It is a grace-enabled gift that God the Father gives to every one of his children when they're born again. Man, we ought to be rejoicing in this. And, and, And I think we do people a disservice when we emphasize you've been forgiven and leave off, and you've been given the ability to forgive others. Right? Number two, it's not only a supernatural talent, Forgiveness is a sacred skill. I don't want to so emphasize the the supernaturalness, the response of it, and think, oh, now that I'm born again, I'm just going to go around being a forgiving person. Hi, hurt me. I'm ready to forgive. Hey, betray me. It's okay. got this covered. I got a supernatural talent. I'll forgive you. No, because why? It's a sacred skill. What do I mean by that? Well, in 1 John 1, 9, we're told if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So we're supposed to confess our sins. But you know what? The first thing you tell people to confess their sins, what's the first question they ask? How do I do that? How do I do that? We can go to Ephesians 4 and say, let all bitterness and, and malice and anger be put away and be kind and tenderhearted. And you know what the first thing a hurt person's going to say? How do I do that? Why? because it's a talent that still needs to be developed as a skill so here's the principles receiving and giving forgiveness is both an art and a skill that must be taught learned and practiced am i right on that Nikki? on the artwork is talent enough no and i'm paying high dollar to learn that for my own daughter why because you can have all the talent and jeff's doing that too you, you can have all the talent in the world, but you still have to be taught the skill and trained in the skill, whether it's drawing or forgiving. Forgiven people are forgiving people that need to be taught how to receive and give forgiveness. So that's what this, this series is going to do. We need to equip ourselves and others in what it is, how to do it, when to do it, and why I should do it. Uh, and in, in, boy, I'm telling you what, my, I, I didn't have a lost legacy of forgiveness. I, I had a blank slate for 17 years. All I know is one time my mom, God love her, bless her, got a hold of a pop psychology book when my brother and I were, must have been driving her nuts, and she made us sit on the same chair and hug each other. <laughs> now, this is what happens when you get man-made wisdom or foolishness, okay? You do foolish things with your kids. I, it was the weirdest thing in the world, okay? Accomplished nothing but made me think, Mom, you're weird. This is weird. Why am we doing this? But what it was, it's a desperate mom trying to get a hold of how to reconcile, how to impart forgiveness, okay? My legacy of forgiveness begins here at Glenwood. When I, as a 17-year-old, got saved, gotten part of our youth department and we're taken to a bill gothard conference and say what you want about bill gothard but i'll tell you this i learned how to ask and give forgiveness something a skill i did not have in my toolbox up until that time and one i thank god for on a regular basis so yes jerry thanks for taking me there and getting my red book gwen now listen and it's not just People that aren't, Gwen was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, but didn't have a legacy of how to give and receive forgiveness. We started learning this process together as we dated, and then as we uh, were married. We have taught and modeled forgiveness to Amber to the best of our imperfect ability so that she would have that legacy of hearing us ask her for forgiveness. Hearing one another ask for forgiveness. Now, of course, Gwen thinks I need to grow in this skill, and I'm glad, I will. I'll gladly grow in this. Um, We all do. But we do practice it, and we do do it. This series is going to equip you in these skills and enable you to recover, or maybe for some of you, start the legacy of forgiveness in your own life as a single, in your marriage, or even in your family. We're going to see the art of being set free by forgiveness next week. The art of receiving forgiveness from God. This is probably one of the most neglected skills of every Christian believer. Of being forgiving towards others, of asking for forgiveness. The art of giving forgiveness, the art of treasuring forgiveness. Forgiveness in Christ on Palm Sunday and the art of embracing forgiveness from the Father on Easter. And so the third thing I want you to see here is that forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. So it's a talent, a supernatural talent given by the Father. It's a sacred skill taught to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Forgive others just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And third, it's a spiritual discipline. Now, I've got definitions there of, of spiritual disciplines, but I think when we think spiritual discipline, we think of reading the Bible, we think of praying, or we think of uh, the, the super discipline that none of us practice much, fasting. Okay, we think of all these spiritual disciplines, but rarely do we think, and sometimes we may think of the spiritual discipline of confessing, Right? Confessing sins to God on a daily or moment-by-moment basis. But I would put forth to you, I think this is one of the most neglected disciplines. But even more, we don't think in terms of forgiving people as a spiritual discipline, and yet it is. Asking for it and giving it is a spiritual discipline. And so we're going to look at the twin spiritual disciplines of confession and forgiving. And there's more that we will talk about. So here's the bottom line. A discipline is something we do in order to grow closer to God. It's a means of grace where our heart is engaged and we draw closer to God and we deny self to become more like Christ. And I'm putting forth to you, that these two are very significant spiritual disciplines, and we're going to learn how to do those. So let me end today with this. We can recover the lost art of forgiveness because God the Father gives us this supernatural talent when we're born again into his family. So my question for you is, have you lost the art of forgiveness because you are lost? Because you cannot put this into practice unless you are a born-again believer and God has given you that ability. So I would encourage you, make sure you're born again this morning because God gives every one of his children this super. If the reason, maybe the reason you can't forgive others, especially other believers, is because you yourself have never been born again. Number two. Because God the Son teaches us this sacred skill as we follow other disciples who follow Him. If you're secure and sure in your salvation, maybe you've never been trained in the skill of asking and giving forgiveness. That's what that Bill Gothard seminar did for me. That's what I've had to do. I've had to do this with my disciples. Three, because God the Spirit enables us to develop the spiritual discipline by His empowering presence. Listen, you may be born again and have the talent. You may have been discipled in the skill, but maybe you're resisting the Spirit in granting forgiveness, and you're not practicing the spiritual discipline. You are resisting what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. I can't emphasize enough, especially parents and married couples, This is the key to growing your marriage. If you can't ask and give forgiveness, you're doomed in the honeymoon, usually. You know, because conflict happens, right? And parents, I know of no other stewardship skill. I know of no other skill you can impart to your kids than the skill of how to ask God for forgiveness and how to receive God's forgiveness, but also how to ask and give forgiveness to one another. So that's what this week is going to be. This series is going to be about next week. We're going to look at the lost art of being set free by forgiveness. It's going to be kind of hard, just like the bitterness series was hard, but I'm telling you what, there was fruit from that. There was fruit from that. And let's pray that there will be fruit from this. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we come and uh, we've covered a lot of ground. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation and we've seen that you're a forgiving God. And Lord, we rejoice today in the free gift of forgiveness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we want to be a forgiving people. And we just, we right now just say thank you. Thank you for giving us this supernatural talent of being forgiving. And, Lord, we thank you for the people in our lives, many of whom are outside of our family. They were a part of the family of God, people in this church who have taught us how to forgive. But, Lord, we want to be disciples who practice this spiritual discipline with all people, no exceptions, even that dirty rat at work and even that scoundrel that betrayed us, even that person, that close family member, or believer in Christ who we have gotten crosswise with. We want to extend forgiveness. So, Lord, teach us in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good stuff.